Becoming preoccupied with the details of Jesus' life. He's got brothers and sisters. He, you know, what does it mean that he does this? And that's what studying the Gospels has done for me. It's made me want to squeeze it dry as much as I possibly can. Welcome to this week's first-person interview and our guest, singer, songwriter, and Bible teacher, Michael Card, who's going to lead us in a conversation about the Gospel of Mark. We'll get started in just a few moments. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you are listening on radio, we are grateful for the many stations who now carry first-person, and I hope you'll take time to thank your station. If you are listening online or with our smartphone app, take a moment to let others know how easy it is to catch each week's interview at your convenience. And a special thank you to the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support making this program possible. Learn more about FEBC's mission of taking Christ to the world by radio and new media at firstpersoninterview.com. Throughout this year, we are returning to a series of interviews with Michael Card as we discuss each of the four Gospels. So far, we've talked about Matthew, and that program is in our archive. And now we come to the Gospel of Mark as we continue to learn not only about the writer, but about the ministry of Jesus. Our conversation took place at the studio at Mole End in Tennessee, where Michael has recorded music through the years. Well, we actually know a lot about Mark. Um, you know, someone like Matthew, we know virtually nothing about Matthew, but we know a lot about Mark. Uh, we know that later, later in his life, he, he, he's associated with Peter. Uh, Peter describes him as my son, hmm. Mark. And uh, Eusebius talks about the fact that Mark really was kind of known as a disciple of Peter. Stop there, Eusebius. Tell us. Eusebius is, is the first uh, collector of church histories, uh, third century uh, from Ces- I think from Caesarea. And what we have is a collection of fragments of church history from different writers uh, and from Eusebius himself. And uh, fascinating. Some of them are wacky, you know, and some of them are fascinating. The ones I disagree with, of course, I think are wacky. <laughs> but, uh, but one of the things Eusebius talks about is the fact that uh, the early church, um, and this is around 60, uh, they, they come to um, Mark, who is a disciple of Peter, and they say, please write down Peter's account of the life of Jesus. So early in the, in the history of the church, there's this concern that we write, while the, while the eyewitnesses are still there, let's walk, write down the Thank story. Thank God they did. Yeah, and they do. And, and you know, there are evidences of that. I mean, why is, why is Mary, uh, or uh, Martha's sister, she's always herself. Why is Peter always Peter in all four Gospels? It's because they're, they're being described by people that knew them, Right. And so that's one of the most important things of Mark is to understand that his gospel really reflect, reflects Peter's story. But also his, his, uh, uh, his cousin is Barnabas. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. They're relatives, okay? We think cousin is the right way to translate that word. And so here's this early pillar of the church who really is responsible for, for Paul. When no one else believed in Paul, Mark, Barnabas believed in Paul. And took him to the elders. And when no one, and when Paul didn't believe in Mark, right? Because they had had a split. Barnabas is the one. Barnabas yeah. is the one who believes in Mark. So yeah, I mean, and and uh, when Peter, I mean, in Acts thirteen, when when Peter gets busted out of prison, where's the first place he goes to? Mark's house. <laughs> That's the first time we hear Mark's name, John Mark. And so he is this incredibly connected, you know, who's a young man while all these things are happening, but. Uh, I have absolutely no evidence for it, but I'm absolutely convinced that the Lord's Supper happened at his, at his house. Uh, but 
you know, why am I convinced? Because I really want it to be that way. (laughs) (laughs) I know how committed to the scriptures you are. So it's okay. You can have an opinion once in a while. Yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) But it's really Peter's story that we hear in Mark. It really is Peter's story. And if you you read it from that perspective, uh, Peter is always... um, uh, he's, he's been very humbled, right? And so, for example, the Jesus walking on the water in Matthew, you read that story and well, you know, Peter walks on the water too. Read it, Mark, Jesus walks on the water, but the Peter's not included. Why? Because he, he is not going to, uh, um, pump himself up. Oh, okay. so it's the first miracle that really one of the disciples was part yeah. of. Or make himself look bad. Well, I used to think he didn't want to make himself look bad, but the more I, I came to understand the Peter of Acts, I think it really is humility. Okay. Uh, when Because like the, the Caesarea Philippi confession, the other gospels, you know, who, who do people say I am, blah, blah, blah. Who do you say I am? Peter says, you're him. And Jesus blesses him, right? And then uh, Jesus says, well, let, guys, let me tell you what it means to be the Messiah. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter goes, that'll never happen to you, right? We know what the Messiah ha- you know, happens to the Messiah. And so uh, then Jesus, in effect, curses Peter. Well, in Mark's account, the blessing isn't there, but the curse is. Hmm. Just the curse. And, and again, you read those things. When you take these kinds of things into consideration as a whole, I think Peter's being very humble in the gospel and, and, uh, and showing himself as less than you know what he really was which was he was clearly the leader of the 12 you brought up uh, mark's relationship with paul mm-hmm. which is famous of course mm-hmm. and we know about the falling out and all that and barnabas right. enters into that story tell us what what more do we need to know or do we know about well, that we know that that healed that relationship was healed later on because yeah. right before he died to the credit of both men right he yeah to the credit of both men clearly but uh he talks about mark uh and asks for mark you know uh, um so, but, but I mean, think about this here, here's this, again, here's Mark. who has got a relationship with Peter and Paul. You know, he knows Jesus as a young man, Jesus is in his home. Who better to write the first gospel, uh, than, than John Mark. He's a, a remarkable person, incredible person. So Mark is the oldest gospel. It, it, it was written first. Um, yeah. And, and we believe that first of all, because it, it's, it's an eyewitness account of Peter, uh, it is connected to the fire in Rome, which which happens in 64, July of 64. And uh, the life situation of the Gospel of Mark is really, um, Mark is written to uh, the Christians who are suffering persecution for the first time in Rome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're being crucified for the first time and, and um, being um, been turned in by family members, that sort of thing. Any insight into the character of Mark? As a person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think you you see this concern again. You see it in different ways in all four writers. He has a concern for the for the people that he's writing to. He wants them to understand that they can't suffer anything that Jesus hasn't suffered. And you see that in in some of the unique things in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you look at the story of the Jesus temptation in the wilderness. Mark is not interested in that story. It's two verses long, right? There's no threefold temptation by the devil and that kind of stuff. It's just not there. But what Mark says that no one else says, he says that when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was with the wild beasts. And you read that and you go, that's unique, okay? Well, why in the world? And you think, well, what what are his, his readers experiencing? Well, Eusebius tells us they're being wrapped up in animal skins and being thrown to wild beasts. Oh, wow. Right? 
you know, uh, uh, we have the, we, I think we talked about this on the last program in, in, uh, in Mark 3, another unique story. And again, you look for what's unique. You know, Jesus' mother and brothers decide that Jesus is out of his mind mm-hmm. and they're going to come take him away from the crowd. Well, why would Mark say that? Well, what are his readers hearing from his parents? You must be out of your mind. You're following Jesus of Nazareth, this a Jewish carpenter? You know, you're going to give your life for him. You must be out of your mind. So Mark wants them to know you're not going to suffer anything that Jesus hasn't suffered. And um and it's all through it's all through the gospels you see little details like that that are unique. Do you have a favorite part of the book of Mark? Yeah, I, I do. Um, and and it's it, it happens a couple of times in in uh, Luke and Matthew, but Mark is the one by far who who is most interested in this, and and it's ref- been falsely referred to as the messianic secret, and that is Jesus will do something, he'll heal someone, um, and and he'll say, and this happens in chapter one, he'll say, "Don't tell anybody I did that." And if you, you think, well, that's very counterintuitive. If yeah. Jesus, you know, that makes no this sense. This has puzzled a lot of us for right. a long time. Right. But every time he does that in Mark, Mark shows what happens. Like in chapter one, he heals the leper. And Jesus says, do not tell anybody, uh, you know, I did this. But of course, how can you not tell? They always tell. And as a result, uh, Jesus has to flee to the wilderness because there's so many people who you know just want to be healed? So that was the to, consequence of right, them telling. Absolutely, and you you see that again and again and again in Mark, and so you see Jesus hiding in Mark. You don't the way you don't see him in the other Gospels when he goes up to Tyre, the woman who asked for the corn, uh, the crumbs that fall from the table. Only Mark says Jesus is hiding up there. He's trying to keep his presence a secret because he's being covered up with people. You know, have a boat ready so the people don't push me into the lake. That's in that's in Mark. And so uh, he's crisscrossing the lake uh, constantly in Mark, just the northern tip of the lake. He doesn't even get all over the Sea of Galilee, just the northern tip. And uh, what happens, it's such a small lake. I'll take you there sometime. I'll show you this. Good. Is that a promise? If you're standing on the shore of Sea of Galilee, if there's a boat on the lake, you can always see it. So what happens? Jesus gets in the boat to try to get away from the people, and they follow the shore, and they're there when he gets there. So he can't get away from them. And I, I think that is one of, one of my favorite stories. There are couple, there's a couple of unique healings in Mark that are, that are also, you know, the story uh, about the, the, the blind man that Mark heals, and Jesus says, do you see anything? I see men like trees. trees That's mm-hmm. only in Mark. And, uh, and there's another story about a, a man who's deaf and can hardly talk. Those stories are bookends in Mark. Um, and if you if you've been watching the way Jesus does his miracles, he, he they're great miracles, but he does them very unmiraculously. There's no lightning bolts from his fingertips or anything like that. You know, he'll say, you know, go home, and they're healed as they're going. Or sometimes he's not even there. Go home, your servant as well, or your daughter is healed. That kind of thing. Except for these two miracles, and like the the the, the deaf man is it's in Bethsaida. He takes him outside of the city. And he spits, and he touches his tongue, and he sticks his finger in his ears, and he shouts, be opened. And you, if, you're, if you've been watching closely, listening closely, you've got to go, what in the world is go- Jesus, this is not how you heal people. <laughs> and it's relatively the same, the same thing with the blind man. But then there's the business of, okay, the partial healing. And I think Mark puts that story in there because he wants you to be bothered by that. Did Jesus not use enough spit? Did he, you know... How is this that, you know, I see men like trees kind of thing? 
But if you look exactly in the center of those two stories, Jesus has a conflict with his disciples in the boat. And he says, uh, do you have eyes but can barely see? Do you have ears but you can barely hear? And uh, what Mark has done, he's used those two uh, unique healings as bookends. And Mark does that a lot. He bookends lots of his stories to to, uh, make a statement about the gradual opening of the eyes and the ears of the disciples. We'll learn more about Jesus through the Gospel of Mark in our conversation with Michael Card coming up on First Person. I'm Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. We've produced a number of storytelling videos of God at work in the lives of FEBC listeners living in difficult circumstances. To see these videos and to be encouraged in God's Word, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and sign up for our 30-day online devotional. You will love seeing and hearing stories of people's lives being saved through the gospel message. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Michael Card, and this is a continuing series we're doing throughout the year, uh, focusing uh, one at a time on each of the four gospels. That's what Mike has done with your books on the four Mm -hmm. gospels from InterVarsity Press and I thought it would be a good idea for us to have these conversations here on the program. So again, thanks, Mike. Thank you. We're talking about the gospel according to Mark Mm -hmm. today. And I'm thinking of the man who's editing this conversation and producing this program, Joe Joe Carlson. Hi, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish Joe were here with us because I know Mark is his favorite book. Really? And Joe has been teaching Mark in jail ministry over the last year. And it has really, I I can just see his face right now as he describes those conversations with these uh, men that he meets with. So What a sweet guy. Yeah. So I'm thinking of Joe as we have this conversation, but let's, let's talk more about Mark. And okay. uh, what, what would you like to bring up? Well, um, we could talk about Jesus end time. Uh, Mark and Matthew both give this uh, fairly extended uh, block of teaching when Jesus is talking about the end. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it really is the, the simplicity of, I don't know, you and I were we're we're of the generation when there was all kinds of wacky teaching on the second coming and <laughs> I, somewhere I can see the the chart on the wall right right know? and predictions <laughs> yeah. right and that sort of thing and uh, and you know there was a concern and there still is there's still people who long for his coming I'm you know I'll, I I long for his coming uh, sometimes it's probably less being faithful and more of being an escapist and wanting it wanting it to all be over. <laughs> But um, even so, come Lord Jesus. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, at times I think about that. Yeah, you know? and I think that's okay. I think that's okay. But 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 what you get the simplicity of Jesus teaching on the end end time, which has been so distorted by people. Uh, here, here's what happens. He goes he goes into the temple, and he tears up the temple the second for the second time. He does it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're sure about that? Absolutely. John gives us the first temple cleansing. One of the first public things Jesus does is tear the temple up. And in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, practically the last public thing he does is tear the temple up. Anything so, worth doing is worth doing twice. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's, <laughs> and so that's really the kind of the bookends of his ministry. What happens is he goes in and he's angry and you know he drives the people out. And uh, I think he's mainly angry because uh, they this is the only place where the, the Gentiles can pray is in the court of the Gentiles is where they set this place up. So he's, he's really angry. Zeal for your house will consume me kind of thing. And, uh, and so he's leaving the temple area and he's mad and the disciples make small talk. Okay. What do they say? They say, Oh, look at these big stones. Okay. 
and they're bigger than any of the stones in the pyramids. I mean, they're they are huge. The the platform of the temple, and um, but it's superficial. Ad, well, he's been coming to Jerusalem his whole life. He's seen the temple. He's seen this, these big stones before, and he's still mad. And he says, "You see those stones? Not one stone's going to be left on top of the other. They're going to all be pulled down." Which of course scares the disciples right out of their their uh, their 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 minds, and to them that sounds like the end of the world. And for a lot of Jewish people, seventy A.D. when that literally happened. In fact, I can show you a pile of the stones from Herod's temple that are there. They just dug them up in the sixties. They're relatively relatively new. So anyway, they, so they get back up onto into the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane, where they this, apparently they spend their nights there. And uh, the disciples ask him two questions. They say, when will these things happen, referring to the stones falling down, and what will be the signs of the coming of the end of the age? They've been thinking about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they think, they think that's really the same question, but that's actually two questions. Mm. So what happens is, and it's brilliant, Jesus gives them two answers to two questions. The first is, when I saw the simplicity of this, in fact, John Long, Dr. John Long, who was one of our uh, great professors at Western? Uh, he's the first person that Western ever sh- Kentucky where you this went to university. Yeah, Western okay. Kentucky University. Doctor Long, just one of the sweetest guys, one of the most encouraging profs I had. So anyway, so he asks, he, he gives them two answers. The first answer, Jesus simply describes something you run away from. You know, you know these passages. So what does he say? Pray that your flight won't be in winter. How hard it will be for you know nursing mothers, pregnant women, and nursing mothers. You know if you're on if you're on the roof, don't go down and get your stuff. What does he say? Run. And apparently there were Christians who, who who understood this. And when the Romans came, uh, they ran to a city called Pella, and a lot of people's lives were saved because they actually did this. Okay, hmm. so you know what? When will these things happen? Question answer to question one seventy A.D. Run. Right, so he described something very concrete, and okay. So question two, and what will be the signs of the coming of the end of the age? Well, that's another question, and Jesus says immediately after those days, the stars will fall from the sky, meaning? the moon will turn to blood. Meaning, this is something you can't run away from. There'll be two women on the roof. One will be taken. One will be left. The sky basically rolls apart like a scroll. And this is something you can't run away from. And if, if people say, oh, the Son of Man is in the wilderness, don't go, that kind of thing, right? Because when he comes, every eye is going to see. It's this cataclysm where the, where the stars fall from the sky. So very simply, as, as Dr. Long explained it, Jesus describes something you can run away from, <laughs> the Romans in 70 AD, and he describes something you can't run away from. That's rich. I yeah. love that. And one of his statements, which is almost universally misunderstood, is when he says there will be wars and rumors of wars. Mm-hmm. Well, that's before question one. Basically, he's saying, look, you know, when, when haven't there been wars and rumors of wars? When haven't there been earthquakes and various and famines in various places? Basically saying stuff is going to go on like it's always gone on. So that's not the end of the world, right? When it, when when I come, every eye is going to see. See, hmm. it's going to be something you can't run away from. So the, for me, the simplicity of Jesus teaching on the end end times, uh, because like you, I mean, I, I've I've spent a lot of time around people who are very esoteric and only the elite kind of understand the locusts or B-52 bombers and that kind of thing. And uh, 
I cling to the simplicity of Jesus' teaching, you know, uh, and, and, and what's, what's the conclusion? The conclusion is, be faithful, right? When I come, believe me, you're going to know. And so in the meantime, be, be found serving when I come back. What's wrong with that? Absolutely. What is wrong with that? Yeah. Well, um, can I, I should have looked this up ahead of time. I think okay. it's Mark 12. Is it Mark 12 where Jesus is in the temple um, and the widow's mite story. Oh, well, yeah, I love that story. Yeah. I love that story. Um, to me, that is one of the things that always sticks out to me about the book of Mark because, and I think this is a Michael Card thing. This is how you taught me to look at it's scripture. Actually, it's tw- at the end of 12, right? Yes. It's yeah. right before the passage we just talked about. Yeah, right. 13, That's what made me think of this. The signs of the end of the age, yeah. Um, but it says Jesus was watching them yeah. put their money into yeah. the treasury, what's the, the term it's used. But the, the key thought is he was watching. Yeah. I, and, I, and and as I, you know, steward what he gives to me, I, I always think about the fact Jesus is he's watching. He's watching. He's watching that. Well, there's one other place in in uh, in uh, Luke where he's doing, is it Luke? Yeah, where he's doing that. And it's the third meal he has with the Pharisees, and he's watching them to see where they sit. So this... this Isn't that interesting, yeah. though, to think about Jesus not saying anything... Right. But watching. Well, well again, look at there, here are these two little details that we rewrite past, and, and, but let's engage with those things and realize that Jesus isn't always talking, right? Sometimes he's watching, he's watching what people do, and, and he watches this woman, and, and, uh, and she's got two, and, and I've got some of these things. Uh, they're called lepta. It's the smallest coin that's ever been minted. It's a little flake of copper, and if you have it in your hand, you can blow it out of your hand. Mm. It's so small. And the point is, of course, she has two. She could have kept one, yeah. but she put she them both. She gave everything in. she had. Right, right. And and there's other people that are pouring with a lot of clanking, you know, sound. <laughs> there's big bags of money. And in Jesus' value system, he's much more impressed with her than he is with the rich people. One of the teachings that he really adds to Judaism, which I think is fascinating, but this is in, Ma- in Matthew, he adds secrecy. You know, the, 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 the three pillars of, of Jewish piety, which are fasting, giving to the poor, and prayer, he doesn't, he doesn't add anything about those except that you do it in secret. You don't do it so people can see you, so you'll get rewarded by people around you. Mm-hmm. You do those things in secret. And so the same thing, well, like with this woman giving, you know, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That's something that Jesus added to that teaching. But I'm like you. I love to imagine him watching... Yeah, and, and and then thinking, and, and he, he comes up, it's almost like a little parable. Right. And then he shares it with the disciples right. later on. I think in our whole big picture that, that we're trying to reconstruct from the gospel, that's a facet of his character, I think, that we can add to. Well, my thanks to Michael Card for the conversation about the gospel of Mark. I hope you'll read Mark for yourself with these insights in mind, and then also get a copy of Mike's book, Mark, the Gospel of Passion. We'll place a link to the whole series of books by Michael Card at firstpersoninterview.com. And in a couple of months, we'll talk about the book of Luke. Each week, this program is made possible with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, who loves to have God's Word taught on the radio. That's what FEBC does in nearly 50 countries of the world through the radio and the Internet. Please consider what you can do to support FEBC. Go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for FEBC. Next week, we'll talk about the upcoming International Day for the Unreached. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you to join us next time for First Person.